one and we are recording with the one the only mr mike vecchio has been on here oodles and boodles of time bundles oodles and whatever his new book homicide is my business about luigi the zip uh the best name ever ronces folly uh you've been on here before for your books and as always those will be in the description we've done short short readings on here short writings i genuinely and whenever i have a guest on for a book i'll always just out of respect i'll push it just because you know it's you know i don't know tit for tat they come on my show i'll push the book very rarely do i actually go out of my way it happens a couple times a year i'll go out of my way to push a book i really do love i will and by that i mean I define that as I will harass my own family and send them links to the book. And I've done so to me, that's the highest level of honor I can give a book is if I'm willing to jeopardize the relationship I have with my brothers and cousins by going, Hey, buy this fucking book. So um, I sent that out to a lot of people. I do think it is your best work. You you're getting better and better and better at writing. Not Thank that you. you weren't good to begin with, but this I, it really is. It's this is, this has been your culminating work. I posted it everywhere. I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it and it's on audible already most people don't get it on audible for like a year or two after you're right out of the gate you're on audible so i, yeah. I bought it on there too just to bump your sales on that but mike take it over tell everyone about the reception of the book so far or whatever you want to say okay well for those of you who don't know who i am my name is mike Beckion and i and i was formerly chief of the rackets division in the Brooklyn district attorney's office. And I did that for, for 13 years, but I was a prosecutor for about 30 years. And homicide is my business is about my early days in the DA's office. When I was, um, I guess I had been in the office maybe about seven years by that point, six years. And, and I was the tree. I was the, um, the senior trial assistant in the homicide bureau at the time. Um, there came a point later when I went back to the office where I became chief of homicide. But at this point, when I wrote, when I, when I met Luigi, I was a senior trial attorney. And, uh, and the way I met him is, is, is pretty interesting. I, I, I had been in my office, I was working on some case and, um, and, and my boss, who was the deputy bureau chief at that time of the bureau, not, um, not the chief, the chief was on vacation. The bureau chief, deputy bureau chief calls me into his office and, there are two detectives that I see who I know from uh, the Brooklyn Homicide Squad. And, um, and he said, Mike, he's the, Billy McGrory was one of them. And I don't remember the other one, but he said, Billy's got this informant. Um, they've debriefed them. It's a case that is going to be yours. And, um, you know, so why don't you go meet the guy? He wants to talk. And, um, and I said, OK, but why me? He said, well, he's Italian. You're Italian. You'll hit it off. And that was it. That's how I met him. I went back to my office. Uh, actually, I went into a conference room. My office was a uh, was in a. <laughs> I I can't even describe for you how. I think I do it in a book. How, oh, yeah, how small said, the office was. It was a very tiny, claustrophobic yeah, box. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, I I told him to bring him into the um, into the conference room, and we had a conference room there that was. You know, for anybody who is familiar with city uh, furniture, city uh, and people who have to work on the, the furniture that the city gives you, mm -hmm. we had this table that was that it took up most of the, the, the conference room. The chairs were all mismatched. The um, you know, there was, I think, a, a one window in the room and it and it faced another building that was less than, you know, five inches away from our building. 
it, it was um, it's not the glamour that, you know, you see on television when they talk about uh, when law and order uh, prosecutors step into the prosecutor's office and it's this magnificent looking office, like a, you know, it yeah, was, it's like a Wall Street boardroom. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was like a Wall Street bathroom. So, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's that's how I described it anyway. Um, so I'm sitting there and, and the detectives walk in with this guy in handcuffs and I look. Adam and I, and I say to myself, this guy, this is a hit man. This can't be. He looked like a, he looked like a, he was, it looked like a bowling ball. And he, I mean, he was built like a bowling ball. I mean, he was short. He was fat. He was, um, <laughs> he, he was dressed obviously in clothes that he hadn't changed in, in a, in a while because he had been in custody of the FBI before being in custody of the police department. And I don't know what they did in terms of, of getting him closed, but, uh, but he had stuff on that was, that it, it was just not something that you would think a guy who came from, you know, the mafia who makes all this money and who, you know, who is uh, who's a respected person would look like. And I said, okay, sit down. What's your name? And he introduced himself. Luigi Roncesvalli. That's his name. And it was hard. You know, you can't really make it up, Tom. It's and, so um, great. Roncesvalli. I said, I said, Luigi, may I call you? Luigi goes, yeah, yeah. What's your name? And I told him my name is, you know, Mike Vecchione. He said, ah, oh, Vecchione. Blah, blah. And he was gave me the Italian right away. You know, so I said, OK. I said, listen, Luigi, you look hungry. Are you hungry? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, I've been eating merde in the uh, in the, the jail. He was in the Brooklyn House of Detention and merde in Italian is shit. That's the word for shit. So he looked like that he wanted a meal. So I, I said to him, well, what do you want? So he tells me he wants a veal cutlet Parmesan hero and a bottle of beer. I said, OK, I sent one of our investigators down. He got the bottle of beer, got the got the uh, the, the hero. And the detectives <laughs> said to me, okay, Mike, he's yours. See ya. And I had two now investigators from my DA's office had to stay with me because the guy was a, was a prisoner. He was in the Brooklyn house of detention, which is the detention facility for people awaiting trial. And he was a guy who had been arrested at that point for a murder in Brooklyn. So, um, I have to just, I can't get off the veal cutlet Parmesan hero and the beer too quickly because that became the um, sort of the key the to opening, to opening up his, you know, his, his mind and his, his ability to talk to me, his willingness to talk to me. He loved it. And, um, and it was, I can tell you, Tom, very different from what he told me he was getting as food in the Brooklyn House of Detention. So every time he came up to my office, which he did many times over the next several months, I had the veal Parmesan hero and the beer waiting for him. And it was like he was, you know, he was home. So yeah. so it was it was a good thing. And um, Sacrament. And, and then he and then he opened up to me. He, he opened up to me. And um, and I know I think last time we spoke, I talked about some of the things he he told me. But I think it bears um, uh, repeating in terms of setting up how he got to where he he where how he got to, how he got to me, how he got to the police, how he got to the FBI and why he did. And um, and I'm not going to go into as much a, a lot of detail because I do really want your listeners to read the book because I think it it will it will give them a true full picture. But he had I basically I like to say that 
Um, we start at the end of Luigi's story in Brooklyn, uh, which is the beginning of his story with me. And the end is this. He had been hit. He had been a hitman um, in Sicily. Um, and he came to the United States, and I'll explain why in a, in a, in a few moments, um, and became a hitman in the United States, was continuing his, his, his prowess as far as being able to kill people who he say always deserved to be killed. Mm -hmm. He never killed anybody who didn't deserve to be killed. That was his, his mantra. And he was so successful that a, um, an international criminal from Italy, a guy by the name of Michele Sindona, who, is, who was responsible for the fall of the Vatican Bank, for the fall of many other banks in, in Italy, because what he was doing is he would, he, he was managed, so-called managing them, but what he was doing was ripping the banks off. He was using them as, um, using their money to launder mob money. He was taking money from them for himself, and he came to the United States and he caused the fall of a bank that was that was centered on Long Island here in New York called the uh, Franklin National Bank. And he caused that to collapse. He obviously caught the attention of the Italian authorities and the authorities, the federal authorities here in New York. And he was indicted in Italy for the for the and, for, and, and held responsible for the fall of many of the banks that were in in Italy that he caused to collapse. One of them was in Venice. And at the time he caused the collapse, the, uh, the cardinal of Venice, the, the Catholic cardinal, was the person who became John Paul I after John Paul, uh, Pope John Paul VI died. Um, and, and John Paul I, Got to know uh, got to know Ron, uh, Sindona because his he was he, he felt horrible and sad and and angry for what he did to the people who lived in Venice because he cost them their money basically the collapse of the bank uh, and these people were not all rich people they were they were poor people and and this caused a great deal of sorrow for to to John Paul I and I tell you that because. When John Paul I became the Pope, he knew of Ron, he knew of Sindona, he knew of what Sindona was doing, um, and and he knew that he had been allowed, so to speak, to handle the Vatican money by the Pope that preceded him, but he disagreed with it. And when John Paul I came in, he cracked down on 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 on. Uh, uh, Sindona, and Sindona knew that something had to be done, otherwise he would lose his, his access to the Vatican Bank and lose his access to, um, to, the, to the people in the Vatican who were protecting him. And it led to, honestly, it led to the murder of, of John Paul I. But Sindona, as I said, was indicted in Italy, and Sindona indicted in, in New York, and in his world and in his mind, the only way to ensure that he was not going to go to jail and go to jail for a very long time, because they had the goods on him in Italy, had the goods on him here in the United States. In his mind, the only way to, to, to protect himself and to ensure he wasn't going to go to jail was to kill the prosecutor in Italy and to kill 
the prosecutor, a United States attorney, U assistant U.S. attorney in New York, um, because he knew that if they were eliminated, he didn't think that the case would necessarily go away immediately, but he knew that it would take a long time for new prosecutors to catch up on the evidence, catch mm -hmm. up and learn the case. And in, and in that time, he felt he would figure out a way to get himself out from under. So <clears throat> he was a he was a very he was very connected to the Gambino family in, in New York. In fact, he was laundering their money, their drug money through the banks that he had he had caused to collapse. And he went to them and asked for a hitman. They had been using Luigi Roncesvalli as well, and he had been he'd become a very successful guy. And and uh, uh, one of the Gambino <clears throat> soldiers um, actually might have been a capo who knew Luigi had a sit down with him and he put him together with uh, Sindona. And Luigi knew of Sindona and knew that he was a guy who had a lot of money, knew he was what he had done in Italy knew what he had done in the United States. And Sindona said to him, basically made a proposition to him. He said, I will give you $100,000, pay you if you kill the judge slash prosecutor in Italy. And I also want you for another $100,000 to kill the prosecutor in New York. And, he's, and he added something. <laughs> he said, not only do I want you to kill him, but I want you to plant drugs in his mm -hmm. pocket plant so that he's arrested. They, it will not get put on to me. It'll look like he was a drug user slash dealer and others killed him. Roncesvalli, who had been killing people, but had been starting to understand that the mafia in, in New York was not the same as the mafia in Sicily. There were no men of honor, as he called yeah. them in, in New York. So he, he was sort of leaning uh, towards his decision, which was to say to Sindona, no, I'm not doing this. I am not doing it. Now, he knew that there were going to be consequences or could be consequences. One, of course, he was hoping that he would still continue to make money and that the people would still hire him to or use him to kill people for money. But he had a feeling that Sindona was going to extract some revenge on him for turning him down. Sindona went to someone else to do the killings. That didn't work out. And, and ultimately, Sindona gets caught and, and gets put in jail. But Luigi at this point becomes very worried. And he also fears, worried about Sindona, but he also fears that he's going to lose his income, so to speak, that the word will get out that he turned down this, this major figure in the underworld. And perhaps he'd be looked down upon and not hired any longer. And he was he, he took jobs, other things that, that he needed to do to make money. One of them was a robbery that he had learned about from one of his associates. It was a robbery of a, uh, they set it up as a robbery of a money courier. Someone picked up money at this particular location in Queens, New York on a regular basis. And he estimated, and they estimated that there was about $30,000 in the bag that the courier would bring from the location into the armored car. So they staked out the location, and Luigi says uh, they told me that the courier came out just like they said that uh, the courier would, except, he said, Mike, except it was a woman. Yeah. It was not a man. He said, we don't, we don't rob women in Sicily. That's a no-no. I can't do that. 
but he was so desperate, Tom, that he did. He opened up the bag in the car on the way back to where they were going to drop. He found that there was only $3,000 in there. And now he is burning because he feels that he lost face because he robbed the woman, which he could never tell anybody that he did in his world. And he only had $3,000 and there were three guys, two other guys with him. So that's $1,000 a piece for this robbery that caused him to lose so much face. He didn't even have to worry about it because the cops, the New York City Police Department must have seen what went on. They followed the car and when they parked in front of the driver's home in Queens, the cops swooped in and arrested all three of them. Luigi gets put in, gets held on $500 bail. This is how long ago. It's $500 bail for an armed robbery. Um, was was a very low amount of money for that that period of time, for that kind of crime, I should say. And um, and he calls up Sindona, believe it or not, to ask him for the $500. Now, I asked him, what, what did you think was going to happen? He says, I, I, I thought he wouldn't want me to talk, so he would give me the $500. That was his thinking. Sindona basically told him, no, no. Now, Luigi's really worried. He says, if I don't get out of this jail, Sindona's going to have people kill me. He knew. Mm -hmm. He gets his brother-in-law to put up the bail. He gets out. He calls Sindona again, and he says to him, look, I want 30 grand, and I'll get out of the country. I won't bother you. Nothing will happen, because Sindona was basically worried, obviously, because he wanted to have the prosecutors hit. I say nothing. Give me 30000 I'm gone. Sindona tells him, basically, no. Luigi says, okay. He says he walked into the ninth precinct in Manhattan, the police precinct in, in, in uh, lower Manhattan. And he walked up to the desk and he said, I want to speak to the FBI. The FBI came, picked him up. He told him everything he had to tell him about Sindona. But the FBI didn't want to hold on to him. They didn't, you know, they didn't want to foot the bill to have this guy now in their custody forever. They turned him over to the police department of the city of New York because they, Luigi told him he had an open homicide that he committed in Brooklyn for the Gambinos as well. So... Once they talked to him about that, they, meaning the cops, they didn't want to hold on to him. The cops don't have the, the police department says they don't have the money to, to cut, to hold a guy in custody. So who do they bring him to? The DA's office. And they come in and who gets him? Me. Now we put him in the Brooklyn house of detention in the, in the protected witness area. Um, and, um, and it was a good thing. Uh, because he he was able to meet other people, as I described in the in the book, one particular individual was was the son of a notorious fake reverend in Brooklyn who would recruit young women to go out in the streets of New York dressed as Catholic nuns and beg for you know for money. He would then they would then come back to his home in Brooklyn, actually not too far from where I, I grew up, take the money. And then he would simply uh, rape the girls. He would hold them, rape them, send them back out. They get pregnant. He'd have kids. So there were kids. There were women running around all around this guy's this guy's house. The Reverend Legrand was his name. And um, so Luigi was able to give me some information about Legrand because Legrand's son was in jail with him in the protected 
witness unit. He wasn't a witness, but he was a guy who needed protection because of the notoriety that his father's case had gotten in Brooklyn. And they, the warden feels, look, I don't want this guy killed on my watch, so we keep him in the protective unit. He approaches Luigi one day, and he says to him, um, I know who you are, and he knew he, knew he was a mafia uh, mafia guy, and he, and he said to him, I, I would like to talk to you because I have something that I would like you to arrange for me. So Luigi didn't bite right away because he, he didn't know this guy. He didn't know who he was. He didn't know if he was getting set up. He had no clue. One of our visits, he tells me about this guy. I knew exactly who he was talking about because I was part of, uh, I had begun part of an investigation. His father had already gone to jail. I had begun a part of an investigation into his brothers who were still, uh, was still around and doing the same thing we believed. So I said, listen, you get whatever you can out of him, find out what he wants, come back to me and we'll, we'll, we'll do some, we'll do something. Now, Luigi didn't have to do this. He was he was going to cooperate with the feds. He was going to cooperate with me, plead guilty on his case. But this is a new thing for him now in terms of coming up with this information. But I guess he felt that he was facing 25 to life for a murder. So the more he gave me, the more I would be able to bring to the D.A. and ask for a, uh, a lighter sentence, which was absolutely true. What this this guy whose name was Legrand wanted was he, he feared that one of his brothers who was trying to save his own ass from going to jail was going to turn and give the DA's office, the police, the location of many of these dead young women who his father had killed and who they had buried in and around New York City. He wanted his brother killed and Luigi was the guy he went to because he knew he was a mafia figure and uh, and could do it. That opened us up. That opened up our investigation to the point where we had gotten enough information from this guy, or so we thought anyway, uh, that we went to the spot where he said many of the bodies were buried. And it was on, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, when when one highway kind of branches off to another, there's generally a grassy knoll, so to speak, between the mm -hmm. one highway, the other highway. And it was that way. It was a spot like that in Queens, uh, New York, that he said they had buried bodies. At the time, the highways were kind of being under or under construction. So they felt that it was a good place to hide the bodies and they, bur and they buried them. So we, sent, we spent a lot of time out there. It was too much ground to cover. But as a result of it, we were able to get, make a case against this, uh, this, this kid. We got much more information from about the Legrands. We were able to keep them in jail. And, um, and the brother who this guy wanted killed ultimately became an informant for us against his family. He was right to worry about it. And others took the case beyond uh, where I was at the time. So Louis, my point in telling you this was that Luigi was in a place where he was he was kind of um, looked up to, if you if you want to call it that, by the other criminals, because he was a mafia guy and word started to spread that he had been, you know, he had been a hitter. He had been a hitman. 
Um, but I jumped way ahead. Uh, so my that the the end is what end of Luigi's career began my career or my association with him. Mm-hmm. Um, that whole Sindona situation. When he came to me and we sat down to talk about his case, the case that I was prosecuting now, and he was the defendant for which he ultimately was going to plead guilty in return for cooperation against the Bonanno family, which is the family he was working for in Brooklyn. I asked him, tell me about what happened. And he tells me that, um, that the Gambinos who had an association with the Bonanno's, particularly with him, because they used both, both families used them, um, needed a job done, needed a hit to be done. The Gambinos had hired somebody to do it. And when he went to the location where the victim was, was, was working to do it, he pulled, it was a restaurant. He pulled up, was going to walk into the kitchen where the guy was, was working and he was going to kill him, but he pulled up and there were police cars outside. He recognized them. They were unmarked cars. There was a, another marked police car. Why? The restaurant was a very popular place with the local cops and detectives, and it was good food. So this so-called hitman gets cold feet and he takes off. He doesn't do it. Now the Gambinos have to find someone else to save face. Why? I'll tell you who the person was who needed to be hit. He was a chef in this restaurant called a New New Corner Restaurant. And the chef had been raping his own niece, a young lady who he was continually raping and having sex with. And she finally had had enough and went to her family and they were horrified. And regardless of the fact that the chef was a, was a relative of theirs, they went to the Gambinos and said, we want him hit. So if the Gambinos couldn't do this, now that they had a guy who walked away from it, they were going to lose face. So they had to go to someone who was reliable. They went to their contact in the Bonanno family and they gave, and Luigi shows up. He tells them, they tell him what they want done, why they want it done. And he says to me, he said, Mike, this guy deserves to be killed, which is what I told you. He said every time he did it. He, can't he was, disagree with him. Uh, I don't know if he was wrong with this one. I'm so, kind of. Yep. I'm kind of on Ronson's volley side. Yeah. So he he didn't know what the person looked like. So he shows up one day afternoon and at the restaurant and he walks into the kitchen and he says to somebody in there, I'm looking for Enzo. Enzo, he here. So they say, no, Enzo, not here. Enzo's in Sicily. So he still doesn't know what he looks like. A couple of weeks, uh, a week or so later, he goes back. Same thing. Enzo here. No, no, no. Enzo, he's still in Sicily. That happens three or four times. So he finally goes in one night and they, one afternoon, and they say to him, when he asked for Enzo, he said, no, Enzo, he stayed in Sicily longer. His mama died in Sicily. So he, he's still in Sicily. So Luigi cools it. He waits about two or three weeks later, and then he calls the place. And, um, and he says, Enzo, is Enzo back? And he, they say, yeah, Enzo, Enzo's back. He's back from Sicily. He'd be working. He working tonight. 
So Luigi has to, still has to fight, figure out who this guy is and what he looks like. So he gets the girl, the young girl, who's the victim, and puts her in a car, drives with another, with the Gambino who hooked him up, and they sit across the street from the entrance to the kitchen of the restaurant. Now, they know that he's showing up to work like four o'clock or whatever. And, um, and when the chef Enzo walks into the restaurant, uh, into the kitchen, the young woman says, that's him. She points him out. He says, okay. They take her home. He tells the driver or this, this Gambino guy who was with him, meet me tonight or pick me up. And, um, and he does just that. They drive to the restaurant. Luigi has, has a pistol. He used the revolver a lot too. You know, there was before automatics. He, and um, he walks now, walks into the kitchen. It was sort of at the end of the, the service. And uh, he sees the first guy he sees, he says, uh, Enzo, Enzo here, I'm here looking for Enzo. He says, yeah, Enzo, he's over here, he's over there, he's up by the stove. So he walks over, he says, you Enzo? Yeah. He says, I take out my pistol. Boom, I shoot him in the head. He goes down, I shoot him again. It's so hardcore. And it's in the middle of a, for anyone that hasn't read the book. Crowded kitchen. Yes, it was. What'd you do next? He says, I walk out, I get in the car. I give the gun to, it was a guy named Marable. I give the gun to Marable. I tell him, you get rid of the gun. Drive me to my car. What did you do? I go to Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. That's what he says. Now, that was his deal. That was his thing. By that point, he had killed a lot of people, and that was his mantra. That was his his practice. So he tells me later on, he tells me, though, during the time we were talking, that he later finds out that Marable didn't get rid of the gun, that the gun, he just, he sold it to somebody. And now Luigi, he is that. And and it's another one of these things that, that kind of preys on his mind about how careless the the american mafia is how they don't really care about about things how they they're kind of stupid in a lot of ways um so so that was that was the confession that he made to me and to the police about the case that was open in brooklyn which caused the fbi to turn him over to us so now i i did what now keep in mind i have to let your your listeners know viewers know that I was in the DA's office probably about, as I said, maybe seven years by that point, but I had never dealt with a hitman like this. I had done a lot of cases. I was mostly a homicide prosecutor, but you know, the homicides that I did were, were kind of, as I really kind of chided myself later on in my career, I used to call them bullshit homicides. You know, I, two guys fighting over a beer bottle and believe it or not, those are the kind of cases that, that we had in Brooklyn at that time. Nothing's a bullshit homicide though. When someone dies, that's, mm-hmm. that was, that was, I, I, I really stopped using that term um, because it was just disrespectful to the, to the person who, who died, but I'd never done anything like this, but I did know, I did know that I had to get everything I could out of this guy because if I did go to trial with him on something he was going to give me in which someone else was going to be a defendant, I needed to know everything about him so I could prepare him to testify and prepare him for cross-examination. So I said, well, you got to tell me everything. How'd you get started in this business? And, um, and he tells me about, he takes me back to Catania, Sicily, where he was born and raised. 
Now, a little history about Catania and, and, and Sicily and the Mafia. Catania is a city on the east coast <clears throat> of Sicily, would say kind of a draw, not necessarily a straight line, but a line from Catania to around Naples. So you know that about where it was. This, the center of mafia activity in Sicily was in Palermo, which is the capital of Sicily and which is on the northern coast of Sicily. But Catania had a, had a family, had a, had a mafia family that was not on the same level as the, um, you know, as the, the Palermo mafia. It was kind of like, let's say, uh, the Mets, uh, the, cheap, uh, the, the, the guys in Palermo and their AAA farm team you know, in, um, in, in Syracuse is sort of like the Catania mafia. Okay. But they did have a structure. They had a boss and, and the guy that, that, um, that ran the mafia in, in Catania was a guy named Rapisardi. I, Tommy, I never got his first name. He never, Luigi never told me his first name. He used to refer to him as Signore Rapisardi or Don Rapisardi. And in the book, as you yeah, know, yeah. I, I refer to him as Signore Rapisardi. So he, Luigi wants to be a made man. He wants to be part of the, of the, 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 the local men of honor. Um, and as he later, many years later, told a congressional uh, committee of senators, Senator in America, Young boys want to be baseball, want to play baseball. In Sicily, young boys want to be mafia. That's that was basically the yeah. uh, kind of the rule. Yeah, and and you know it's it's understandable because if you know the history, the mafia basically became many 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 years before, decades before, became kind of like the government in Sicily. When the government had no, no attention, paid no attention to the peasants, they had nowhere to turn for, 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 for well, safety. Was, they were money. very much so like a police force. And then, Correct. you know, Correct. All, although with its flaws, and then you even just look at 2022 America, and it seems like you get five years for raping a kid. And, you know, you, you, you know, you can go walk in a store. And as long as you steal less than $900 worth of merchandise, you can just walk out right? and you go, you know, if there is a strong arm who cleans up the neighborhood and uh, if there's a rape that there is street justice, that's tell me where that's, how, how do you not, how do you, and you're a kid and you look at that and you go, why wouldn't you want to be insured? This doesn't mean it's all good, but it's a, you know, it's like kids wanting to join the army to go do what they think is the right Correct. thing. Why wouldn't Correct. you? Why they wouldn't looked you? up to them. They were, Absolutely. They were the people. And, and the reason, one of the reasons I should say, is that the, their, their families looked up to these guys. Because if, let's say there was a dispute between two families over money that was borrowed. Well, the cops and the, and the law was not going to take care of that. It was the local mafia figure who took care of it, interceded and, and settled things. So that's what he wanted to be. And, and I understood what he was talking about. Um, for the longest time, I taught a history on organized crime um, it, at St. John's University. So I, I was aware of what, you know, what this, the, the background of the Sicilian mafia in terms of how it developed and, and why it developed. So I knew what Luigi had been talking about. 
So he went to Rapisardi, and, and again, to make a long story short, he ultimately got into his favor, and, um, and, and Rapisardi gave him some menial things to do, menial in the sense of a mafia menial, meaning he sent them to collect money that someone owed uh, uh, Rapisardi, and if the guy didn't pay him, then he would beat the shit out of him, essentially. That was, that was the menial jobs that he had, but he did them well. And Rapisardi finally trusts him enough to give him a job, which was a hit in Milan, Okay, not in Sicily. So here's a guy who grew up in this little in this this you know the backwater towns of of Sicily, and now he's got to go to Milan, one of the one of the the premier cities in Italy, but not to sightsee to do a murder of a guy who was a business person and uh, and and had owed Rapisardi money. But you would think, and and the the the, the conventional wisdom is that mafia figures don't kill people who owe the money because then they'll never collect the money. But as far as Rapisardi was concerned, it was worth it to kill this guy because he had to, he had to, he had to, it was a lesson to people who had been taking money from him and borrowing money from him that ultimately I, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to stand for it. So, so he gave Luigi the job and Luigi told me the story about how he, he, he had to figure out how to get to Milan. He had taken, had to take a ferry across to Naples, then a train. Then he had to get it. He's in a city that's not familiar with him. He's got to figure out where the guy works, where the guy lives. And he did it all. He surveilled him till one day he got him in the right spot and he killed him. Then he had to backtrack. He had to do everything backwards, get back, gets back to Catania, feels great. The next day he goes into the, into the coffee shop where Rapisardi was headquartered and, um, Rapisardi pays him, but he shows him the Italian newspapers. Apparently, the hit of this businessman made the newspapers. This was like, you know, if if like you know Aaron Judge hitting his sixty second home run and seeing it in the front page of the of the the you know the New York Times. Luigi sees this hit. He's he's he feels wonderful. Sad to say, but he feels wonderful. Rapisardi then gave him other jobs he had to do a hit in milan i'm sorry in rome and this one since i've been to rome i've been to milan but i don't know milan as well as i know rome he does the hit in in rome at the trevi fountain which is one of the premier tourist spots in 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 rome uh, there's always people around but he does the hit there and he's able to make his way out he doesn't get caught he gets back in and he goes to catania so the point of all of this is that he is now making a real big name for himself. These are, these are major hits, and he's rat working for Rapisardi. And he says to himself one day, what about being made? I need to be a made man. I do everything. I want to be a man of honor. And he goes to Rapisardi, and Rap he tells Rapisardi what, what his trouble is. And Rapisardi says to him, you know, it's not, you're not ready, you're not yet. Uh, uh, you know. And he gives him a, you know, gives him a basically – bullshit story about you're not ready and all this other stuff he says to him but i have a suggestion why don't you go to america to go to brooklyn knickerbocker avenue they need people like you and for your again for your listeners and and viewers what that meant was uh was this the head of the banana family joe banana or Joe Bananas, as they as they he was referred to, but Joe Banano and and a guy named Carmine Galante, who was a very important mafia figure in mafia history. He was a uh, he was a guy who 
was was ruthless, made money hand over fist, but he was a major drug trafficker along with Banano, which was, for those of you, uh, again, those of the people who are watching and listening have seen The Godfather, they knew that bullshit about the mafia saying, oh, we don't do drugs, we don't sell drugs, you know, which is total crap. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to get caught with the drugs, but every mafia family wanted their hands in drug dealing, except that the Bananos were unwilling to share. So they knew that if they had, they had this pipeline, there you go. Still water on myself. Fuck. Mike, I'm going to go grab a dry shirt. I'm an idiot for anybody that's uh, listening and not watching. I just uh, took a sip of water and spilled it all over my myself like an idiot. Mike, tell, tell them where to get the book. The book is available at Am- in Amazon. It's available in audiobook form, print book. It's available on barnesandnoble.com. Uh, it's av- available in Barnes & Noble as well. And the audiobook is available there and also at a place on the internet called tantor.com. Uh, Tantor, T-A-N-T-O-R, is, a, is the publishing so to speak, company of the audiobook, and they are offering it to um, to people on their website. And one last place, the publisher of the book is is a, is a company in Philadelphia called Camino Books, and the uh, the print version of the book is uh, is offered there. So um, you know, I know that this is a a real uh, it's just a, a blatant ad, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think that those of you who have been listening. To what I've been saying, and those of you who want to hear more about the details of Luigi and his life and the, and the hits, get the book. I think you'll you'll really enjoy it, and um, and you don't have to even read it. You can just put on your headphones when you're driving your car, riding, you know, to work on a train or a subway um, or on a bus, just chilling at home. I think that you'll you'll enjoy it, and. Um, and now we've got to kind of eat up time until Tommy comes back with a shirt without a big water stain on the front. Um, I'm sure he feels that he'll never live that down. And, and quite frankly, I won't let him live it down. I'll ask him next time I'm on all about uh, the water stain. So um, I also want to give a plug to myself about one other thing. And I told Tommy about this. I have another book that's coming out the end of January, January 26, so to speak. And it's called Fallen Angel. It's a completely different uh, genre than the mafia genre that is the center of the of uh, Homicide is My Business. I call it a true crime fantasy. And basically what it is, is a, um, is a, is a novel. Um, and it's a, a good against evil kind of novel, um, a prosecutor against uh, an evil force that has come to Brooklyn. And all of the crimes that the evil force, who is Satan, um, has instigated to disrupt life in in Brooklyn, um, were handled uh, were handled by by me at some point in my career. And um, so I also, you know, have taken the cases and I have amplified them somewhat in terms of adding fiction to them to make them more interesting and to fit into the genre that I that I've just talked about but um but so far uh the people who have read uh, the free preview that my publisher has put out have really given me 
thumbs up about it. So I'm <laughs> I'm really excited about that. And I'll be excited to come back on Tommy's show and talk about that. But right now we're concentrating on homicide as my business. So <laughs> I, uh, I gave myself two plugs, Tom, while you good. were away. One good. for this I'm, and one I'm, for I'm, Fallen Angel. I'm impressed. That was most people uh, freeze up after about 30 seconds, but you know yep. the drill well enough. And uh, yeah, I will make sure to uh, be a big boy and make sure I don't drink too much water at yeah. once. But, okay. So <laughs> sorry for that rude interruption. To, hey, yeah, I know that up. we're getting short on time. So let me just pick up oh, where you're good, we, man. Uh, you're good. Where um, uh, I was at the point of why Luigi was, it was suggested that he come to Brooklyn. The Bananos and, and Gambinos had, had established this, this drug um a connection from the middle east to sicily and marseille and then into the united states which became known as the french connection at some at one point but they needed they needed they knew that they weren't going to share the money or share enough of the money to make the other families happy and they felt that there was going to be a war and they wanted soldiers so they recruited people in sicily who were they were partners with these with the the mafia in sicily they recruited these guys to come to the United States, and um, and they were and when they got here, they were looked down upon by the American mafia, um, and and called Zips, which is why he was called Luigi the Zip on the mm -hmm. cover of my of the book. Zip is a was a derogatory term that was uh, that was used by the American mafia of the to and, and when when they were talking about the Sicilians who would come over. No one could give me and no one has been able to give me a a a, a derivation of the word to tell me yeah. where the it comes from. There are many different um, uh, or several different uh, different definitions or backgrounds that I have received. One is that the Sicilian guys were into using zip guns, which mm -hmm. was a, a big thing in the 50s and 60s in New York. They talked very fast so that they zipping along and, you know, the words would zip along or. Um, or they, you know, it was just a word that, that came to some idiot's mind and, and they started to use it. Maybe it was a nickname for some guy, but it got, it, it got, it was tossed around and it was, it was referred when they, when they used it, it they were referring to these guys who had come over from Sicily. It's, Sicilian der it's derogatory, guys, correct? Derogatory. Definitely. The Sicilian guys did not like to be called that. And Luigi was um did not like to be called it he heard that he and he was referred to as a zip but he didn't like it so they they were able to get these guys into the country luigi legitimately came to the united states as others in sicily did at that time um and settled in brooklyn and made his way to knickerbocker avenue where he was told by rapisardi to use his name to get in good with the people uh the banana people he met the same kind of fate with the Bananos on Knickerbocker Avenue as he had at the beginning with Rapisardi. They didn't want anything to do with him. They had no clue as to who he was. They weren't going to give him any, uh, you know, anything to work because they didn't know him. They didn't want to give him any work until one day he finally gets up the nerve to approach a guy in, um, in one of the social clubs on Knickerbocker Avenue, who he says and describes to me was reading the Italian paper had either a coffee, an espresso, or a drink in front of him, but he was dressed to the nines. He had a great, beautiful suit, according to Luigi. He had a nice tie. And most importantly, he had terrific-looking shoes. That was Shoes were a big thing with, with Luigi. And his name was Pino de Quana. 
And Daquano was the second in command of the Bonanno operations on, on Nicobacca Avenue at that time to a guy named Peter Lakata. Lakata was the boss. Daquano was his second in command. And Luigi went up to him and, and, and originally said to him, can I buy you a, a drink or a coffee? And he looked at him like he was, you know, crazy. He said, basically, get lost. Luigi persisted. He finally got to sit down with him and he bought him a drink and he talked and told him why he was there and he used Rapasardi's name. And finally, Daquana maybe felt sorry for him or maybe just wanted to get this pain in the ass uh, out of his out of his his wet added away and he, he said to him all right you want to work i'll give you and he gave him the same kind of work as rapisardi had you know collecting bad debts guys who owed uh Dequana and lakata money but once again luigi was terrific at what he did because he was he, he had the desire to become a man of honor as he called it was burning inside of him and he knew that this was the place where he he was told this was the place where it would happen but it didn't. It didn't happen right away. And um, and 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 if I, I may have mentioned this as an example of how he was treated initially by the by others, the soldiers uh, who worked for Dequana and and Lakata. But I think it bears repeating. He had he'd been hooked up with a guy <coughs> who was whose name was Laporta. That was his last name. Um, trying to think of his first name but it doesn't make a difference and Laporta was um was sort of his supposed to be his mentor he was supposed to show Luigi the ropes about how to collect money who to collect money how to approach people that kind of thing but Laporta recognized that Luigi was good at what he did and he also felt began to feel jealous this guy's going to take my job so he one day says to to Luigi um we got to go to this drugstore in another part of Brooklyn, and the druggist owes money to Signore Dequana, and we have to collect. He said, so here's what we're going to do. I'll pick you up. We drive to the drugstore, which is what they do. He gives Luigi a gun, and he says to him, you go in, and the druggist will be in there, and you, you hold him up, you rob him. And you make sure you get everything that he has. Luigi said, no problem. And Daquana says, and I'll be out here right now waiting for you. As soon as you come out, we'll take off and we'll go back to Nicobacher Avenue. So Luigi goes in the store. He announces the robbery. What does the druggist do? He reaches under the counter and pulls out a gun and starts shooting at Luigi. <laughs> Luigi says to me, Mike, if this guy was a good shot, I'm a dead. He, good thing he was a bad shot. He run, Luigi runs out of the store, gets nothing. What does he find? Cars Nothing gone. outside either. Laporta had taken off. It was a setup. He set him up. He set him up to be killed. Luigi told me he wanted to, want to kill him right then and there. If he had caught him, he would have killed him. And I know he would have. <clears throat> yeah. Finds his way back to Knickerbocker Avenue. They have a sit down that night because Laporta, uh, Laporta can't be killed. He's, he's a protected guy. And at the end of the day, he walks up to Luigi and he gives him a sum of money. He says, what's this? He says, this is half of what the guy that was you were supposed to rob would have given you. And Luigi was, he, he was, you know, to use the term mortified is a little bit too much for a Sicilian hitman. But the bottom line was he was, he was 
angry, mortified, upset. Everything about the whole situation was embarrassed. Yeah, humiliated. It's not. Yeah, this isn't honorable. This isn't. Yeah, nothing. So I say to him, so what what how did you do with Laporta? He says, well, you know, we become we become okay. We become a partners. What happened? What do you do? Well, he tells me that one of the things that they that one of their jobs was to both of them had legitimate passports. So one of their jobs was to drive from Brooklyn to Canada, cross the border and distribute forged passports to more of the Sicilian zips who couldn't get into the country legitimately. That was one of their jobs. Another one, Laporta takes them to a uh, upstate New York, to a small town. This is at night now. After And it was to a pizzeria, which was now closed. What are they doing there? The pizzeria owner owes money to the, uh, to the, to the bananas. Luigi tells me, describes to me what they did. They went into the pizzeria, broke into it, and Laporta disconnects all of the gasoline lines in the place. He says, let's go. They get in the car, they drive away, and they sit, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. Luigi then says, Laporta, he get out of the car, he goes to a phone. This is tell you how long ago this was, Tom. He went yeah. to a phone booth, okay? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. he makes a call. He says, comes back in. And Luigi says to him, what, what, what are you doing? Who you call? He says, watch. And the place, boom, explodes. The spark of the old phone with the gas permeating the, 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 the interior of the pizzeria blew it to smithereens. So, so Luigi becomes, you know, he, he's, he's get building up more and more and more information. And uh, I'm sorry, more uh, respect. Mm-hmm. And he finally gets... Lakata's attention and Lakata puts him now in charge of collecting, but Lakata is the boss. So Lakata collecting for Lakata is like, you know, the being kind of like knighted, so to speak, in terms of helping him out, which he does. He's so good at it, but Lakata also knows that Luigi is a gambler. And um and and he he was running an, an illegal uh casino above his social club. And one day, Lakata learns that one of the dealers who's supposed to be dealing is um, is sick. He can't. He can't. So that that will, he would lose money if he didn't get someone to replace him. And he sends Luigi to to do the uh, to do the dealing for the night because he knows that he's a gambler. One other thing that I forgot just before that, another thing that got him into Lakata's uh, uh, good good uh, you know good stead was Lakata felt that. Somebody was cheating him up in the casino. He was losing money, and he also found out that there was um, that they were that he they were finding counterfeit bills among the money that was being counted at the end of the night. So he sends Luigi up to see if he could, you know, he knew gambling and if he could detect what was going on. He, Luigi tells me he he figured it out almost immediately. He saw two guys who were who were wise guys, uh, but they were not banana people. They were from I think he told me that they were Gambino people. And he saw what they were doing. They were using counterfeit money. So he waited until they went to the bar and he went up to them and he basically had a discussion with them. And he describes that. I I know I have to say too much. Uh, I tell him you owe pay everything back. And basically what he was saying, you pay everything back or I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Pay everything back. And this is best case scenario. 
Be- <laughs> best case scenario. Yeah, best yes. case scenario is Correct. you give me everything back. Well, Lakata was thrilled. He solved the problem. That's why he gave him the job to deal. So he's sitting at the table this night, and he's dealing blackjack. And at the table are all made, made men, banana guys. One was a capo. And he hears them talking about another banana guy, another made person who they're unhappy with, but and needs to and he needs to be killed, but they don't want to do it because he's their buddy. Apparently, this this other banana was had taken advantage of one of their friends uh, passing away with a young wife. And this guy took the young wife under his wing, so to speak, and began not only raping her, but putting her out as a and pimping her out. Yeah. And he had to be killed because the family found out about it, her family, and went to the bananas and said, you know, you got to do something about this. They didn't want to do it. Luigi says, I'll do it. I said, why, why did you do that? He said, I need to do something to show them what I could do. It's my, my yeah. first time. I need to do it. And he does it. He's very successful. And he tells me the whole story about how he surveilled the guy. Same thing as he did in Italy. That is the key. He was he came back to the to the club the next night and he was a hero. The family of the young girl, they were they loved him. They he became somebody he never expected it. He said, the guy, he said, my guy, I don't do nothing. I I do something that he that that needs to be done. And he knew that it was a, a, a murder of honor. That's the way he thought. And his career you know, took off from there. And, and there are several other of the murders, which I, I hope you invite you back. I'll save for another time. So that way you can, we can spread this out a little bit. And, uh, and I think I don't want to fill everybody uh, up with all of this stuff at one time. So maybe we can, you I'll, can have me back and I'll, I'll, and I'll, gonna, and I'll continue to sub, continue. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually going to suggest that I was going to say, let's, cause it's, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to oversaturate it because I do think yeah. that this, this book can be broken up into several episodes, but even there, so we will do that. And, um, and now that I'm all moved in, we don't have to do, I think it's been like three months since I had you on, but we'll get yeah. back to our yeah. regularly scheduled. Uh, we're, I'm back in the room now, but I, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, you have to have, a functioning justice system. And that's something I always do. One of the many things I love about the United States is even, even the sinners, even the demons, like everyone still gets a trial. Everyone still get, there's no street. Ju- and that's a good thing. That's a, you know, it's a progression and evolution of man. Innocent until proven guilty, except yes, it's that, a little different. Yes. And, and that is a, that is an undeniably good thing. Despite the fact that there are miscarriages of justice, I'd say overall, it's probably far does far more far more good than bad that being said and maybe it is just more of a romantic idealism and it's easy because these are stories and i wasn't there and i didn't lose anybody and i just get to hear about it from you through a screen on a podcast and i'm pretty removed from it that given but i mean that's that That doesn't seem like a bad, like the raping of the girl, like get, kill him. This one pimping out raping. I mean, yeah, no, that it, what he, what Luigi did was homicide. That being said, like, that is, that's also though, like, how a lot of society has been governed for the history of man is 
you know, that's unthinkable now that people would get together and say, like, this low life is pimping out this woman and, you know, the families need to come together. And like, yeah, no, Louis, there was murder. But at the same time, like, I do kind of see where he's coming from. I mean, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, and it's, it's hard to you can't jump in all the way. I'm dipping right. my toes into it like. I, I understand it is it is justice in the world in a world that is different from our world, but it's not necessarily um, I, I know this is going to be hopefully not taken wrong by by people who are listening. It, it's not necessarily a wrong, a wrong way of acting in his mind. The no, idea no. of somebody being so unjust to another person requires retribution as opposed to karmic uh, incarceration that that was basically what his his mindset was and he he said to me and 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 i'll leave you with this he said that i never killed anybody and he said this to, to yeah no i didn't kill to, anybody to congress when he testified in, in front of reagan's commission on organized crime i don't i never i never killed anybody the people who pay me the money they're the ones who are responsible for the death, not me. That was his way of thinking. Is it warped? Yeah, it is. It's a warped sense of justice. But in, in many places, Tom, they people would look upon that as being the right way to operate and the right way to act. Um, and, I, and, and when I, I want you to remind me now, when, we, when I come back, I want to pick up with the, just say the, the Newark police officer's brother-in-law that story yeah the the, that, the the poker the yeah right that kind of brings home what you were talking about in terms of establishing um uh, a just result for yeah. a, a horrible situation and um but i i know it's a um it's a dilemma it's, and it's uh it's it's something which of course we have grown up at this was this stuff is an anathema to us but when when you deal and and you sit back and you think about what he was doing and the people that he was doing it to, you say to yourself, you know, you go, is it? There's something know? there. Yeah. And, but and then you got to remember. And then <laughs> devil's advocate, you got to look at it and go. We're also hearing curated stories of the most noble things the mafia did. We're not hearing about, of course, human corruption where somebody gets whacked just because he didn't like them. Or, you know, you get a, you get oh. a hothead that's and it's so I mean, ultimately, oh. I would have to settle on no, our modern justice systems is the best. It is yeah. the best. It, it is, is for the best. all it's of its not flaws. Perfect. Right. But, you know, Tom, I'm going to right in line with what you said, as I as the story continues, you will see that he gets involved in something which we which there is no justification for. No. And uh, and, and he even says that. um you know, he he came to the realization that that what he was doing was not honorable. Yeah, it yeah. was not honorable at all. And, you know, I think it's, that you read the book, so you know what I'm what I'm, yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. getting. Yeah. So and, and you can also kind of see, you know, the flaws in my own argument. You can see go get the book. You can see in Luigi's own evolution of eventually how his own, I guess, code decays or he doesn't uphold it and you go oh well there's the human fallacy of okay so it's i mean it's the current justice system is a lot like um i don't know like mass-produced food like mcdonald's it's not perfect 
It will never be as good as a hole-in-the-wall place. But that hole-in-the-wall place can maybe serve 100 people a night. Yeah. Mass-produced something like Walmart. No, it's not special and unique. And no, it's not a mom-and-pop shop. However, when millions and millions of people can go get, you know, affordable food and, you know, affordable clothes and whatever... No, it's not as good and as beautiful as a homemade something, but the overall good does seem to be better. And I think that's kind of my views on the justice system is overall for the largest number of people, it seems to be a great, a great, greater application of justice. Yeah, except in the places like New York, where they have bastardized the justice system and, and, and California and, it's, and California. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But but the the other side of the Luigi, uh, you know, I do the right thing all the time because they deserved it was one one quick uh, Sicilian situation where he was working at the on the railroad in Sicily. And he had he was one of his fellow workers had dishonored him in some way, he either said something about him or you don't remember. And and Luigi's answer was or his response was to go kill the guy. Yeah, not and to it's... go talk to him, not to not to try to work it out to kill him. So you know, when he would say to me that I, you know, I, I I only did honor killings, that did that was not true. And there's another one later in the book, um, where he does the same kind of thing in in New York, um, yeah. where it's a it's a selfish, a selfish thing. So, um, so you're correct. He the 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 whole concept. When you think about it without giving it too much thought, says, oh, wow, you know what? This guy's right. This guy did deserve to die. But that's not civilized way. That's not a civilized it's, way of thinking. And, and just, yeah, that's not. Yeah, and, and our system, flawed as it is, um, is is the best one in the world. Um, so it's the greatest good for the greatest number. And I know that that you don't want to slide into the slippery slope of uh, that kind of dictator mindset of for the greater good. But it is for the great the greatest number of people get a fair shake and it doesn't mean that there aren't things that fall through the cracks or are just you know blatant miscarriages of justice and corruption i get that entirely all things being equal though it is the the street justice is it's it's rabid it's and it very quickly goes south and it 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 disintegrates and degenerates into something that is uncontrollable and that's not yes and it, and it, and it is right yeah it turns into a, a wildfire and it is Correct. the best thing that even someone who's credibly accused of rape it's like no you can't just show up to their house with a shotgun like there is they get a public defendant there's a judge there's cameras there's witnesses there are jail cells i mean you gotta look at well i guess we'll wrap it up with this is like you gotta look at the Mossad, the uh, israel's uh, cia who went to uh, Argentina in the late 40s or early 50s or maybe even 60s, and they went and they they located and found Adolf Eichmann, the Eichmann. architect of the Holocaust. All right. They kidnapped him. They brought him back to Israel. They gave him a trial, and he was put inside of a bulletproof glass box with two guards inside the glass box and two guards outside the glass box. And those four guards, they all had extensive lineage checks to make sure that they didn't lose any members of their family in the Holocaust, because if anyone did any street justice, then they felt that they would be stooping down 
to the level of the Nazis. They Correct. gave him trial. He was, you know, charged with six million deaths and he was hung. And it may seem all like pomp and circumstance, but it does. You do have to do that. There is an importance to even Timothy McVeigh got a trial. Even these school shooters, these kids that go and shoot 20 kids in the face. They're still brought in in bulletproof vests. If anybody tries to tackle them, the cops stop it. That is the, those are symptoms of a, a progress progressing society right and it's it's that's the way civilized societies operate and that's why we can be where we are right now saying what we want to say because because our civilization is we act under rules civilized rules and if we didn't then you or I would not be able to sit here and talk about whatever we want to talk about. We'd be perhaps visited by some, you know, some, some uh, group of people who were going to want to arrest us and, and shoot us, you know, yeah. and on my terrace out here. So, oh, yeah, no, it's, um, that's I, the way it has to be. I, of all people with this podcast, I would have been jailed and killed a long time ago. Yeah. Right. But that's the beauty of this. Right. Is, is it's not just the it's the idea of the first amendment it's not just that you can say whatever you want it also means that i agree innocent and again it doesn't mean that there aren't miscarriages it just means that this is the least worst system exactly but i think i think i think we're we're on the same wavelength here but mike let's wrap this one up i'll put the book in the description it genuinely is fantastic i highly highly recommend it luigi thank you tom i appreciate that he is a character and a half and uh you know it, in a weird way, he kind of did get his his notoriety. I mean, there's a book written about him now, and in a weird, yeah. and, in a weird and, way, exactly. And Tom, he did become what he wanted to become—a man of honor. Uh, except man of honor. Did yeah, he became man of honor because he of what he did with us. Yes, and um, and and um, so in that respect, um, he he did achieve uh, right. his lifelong goal. So he made sure his family was safe and he, and he helped with the, you know, the, the presidential commission and many ways Luigi did become a man of honor, the, the yeah. bowling ball himself. But yeah. um, yeah. Mike, let's wrap Thank this you. one up and let's, uh, I will text you. I'll text you right now and we'll set the next one up and we'll, um, we'll pick Good. up with the, uh, the, the cop and the brother and the poker. Yep. Thanks. Um, Tom. Thank you so much, Mike guys, go Have get the book, night. put it in the description. Thank you so much.